and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red. I'm joined by Nizar Hassan, and we have got a very special guest for everyone today. I'm super excited about this. Same. Yeah, uh, we have the one and only Wasim Rue with us today. Wasim is a former editor with, uh, with the Daily Star. He, he used to run the Lebanon desk, and now he's off doing a PhD at the University of Edinburgh. And Wasim, tell us, I know this is, uh, it, 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 it's a risky proposition to ask a PhD candidate about their research, but can you briefly tell us what you are, what you're researching, what you're looking into? Sure. So I'm in my second year as a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh, and I'm studying intra-sectarian relations during civil wars. Uh, so not just Lebanon, uh, elsewhere or, or mostly in Lebanon? Uh, in several places, in Lebanon and other places, so it's kind of comparative study. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. And uh, I'm here in Lebanon for a few months to do my research, and then I'm heading back to Edinburgh in late August, hopefully. All right. Well, welcome to the show. We're really super excited to have you. Thank you. Uh, Likewise. <laughs> uh, first off, let's let's talk about what happened la- last week. Um, the the elections have begun, actually. Uh, so the expat voting has already happened. We uh, on Friday, voters, Lebanese voters, voted in six Arab countries: uh, in Kuwait, Qatar, UAE, Saudi, Egypt, and Oman. There were about twelve thousand six hundred who registered to vote, and of that, about roughly sixty percent of them actually went to the polls. Also, so so we're recording this on on Saturday, uh, even though the show goes out Monday. By the time you listen to this, people will have voted in uh, thirty four other non Arab countries around the world. So a lot going on. Just to give you a rough idea of the numbers, so there were twelve thousand who were in the Arab countries who were registered to vote. Sixty percent turnout there. There's 82, 83,000 registered overall. So we've got another 70,000 roughly expats who are registered to vote around the world, uh, who by the time you're listening to this will know uh, how many of them actually came out. But then this is actually sort of a small number as well because there are something like 3.7 million people registered to vote in Lebanon, which that number sounds a little bit high to me, but that is the number. That is what is on the voter rolls. And, and those people uh, will be going to the polls on May 6th. Um, also, over the past week, this, this wasn't actually technically the past week, right? But we had uh, a, a member of the Electoral supervisory, uh, supervisory Committee resign, right? Yes, Silvana Laiz. She was the representative of uh, civil society on the committee. Oh, OK. And what, what, why, why did she resign? Uh, she resigned because she said the committee was not uh, operating uh, in a transparent manner, that it didn't have any uh, prerogatives to do its job properly, and that uh, it's mostly targeting small lists and campaigns rather than the big like ruling parties. Yeah. Okay, we also had uh, an attack on a candidate in the South, uh, I believe on Sunday, uh, last Sunday. Uh, Ali Amin was attacked by supposedly some 40-odd guys. They said that it was with Hezbollah. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if that was ever proven. He was put in the hospital, but he's fine now. I think he was released relatively shortly thereafter. Uh, I want to say uh, not life-threatening injuries or anything, but he's on uh, the, the pro-LF list down there, I believe, against Hezbollah. Also, we had, we had a, a, a scandal in Kesselwain, the Hezbollah, speaking of Hezbollah, the Hezbollah candidate in Kesselwain uh, Jbeil, in Jbeil technically, uh, went and received the key to Kesselwain, like the, from uh, the, the head of the municipality federation in Kesselwain Fatou. Uh, uh, what's his name? Hobesh. Uh, yes, that's who his name is, uh, Joan Hobesh. Joan. Yes. 
So there was a ceremony in a Shia village in Kisirwan, and uh, you had Habesh, Juan Habesh, uh, giving uh, the key to Kisirwan to Hezbollah candidate in the Jbail Kisirwan district from the Zuaiter family. His right. name is uh, Sheikh Hussein Zuaiter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so it triggered uh, uproar in the area. You had so many people saying nobody gave the right to Mr. Hubeish to give the key to Kisirwan to Hezbollah. And then the right in the following day, Nasrallah had a speech. Right. It was an already scheduled speech. And he said he downplayed the significance of, the, uh, of this gesture. He said uh, the key to Kisirwan is in the hands of President Michel Aoun and the Magnate Patriarch, so don't worry. Right, right, right. And, and there was also like something about Hobesh didn't know that he was giving the key. There were there were a lot of stories flying around. That's about... true. He said he said I only knew about it at the very last minute, and I did not want to spoil the ceremony, so I wasn't prepared for it. That's what happened. Right, right, right. Uh, so Nasrallah spoke then. He also uh, spoke earlier on Saturday entire. And so w- with this, we're, we're going back to what we talked about last week here with him talking about the future movement and Hariri responding. So he said that the future movement, there was a sort of a, a division of labor between Hezbollah and the future movement, sort of. And Hezbollah takes care of security. The future movement supposed to take care of the economy. And the future movement had failed. Hariri responded with the same rhetoric, basically, that he's using all over the campaign trail. It is just to promise more development to to all of these areas and to say that Hezbollah wants to, has the scheme to control these different districts. I think he was in the Ba'ah, uh, and then uh, he was in the north this past week and over the weekend. We, we also had three things that related to uh, Syrian refugees in the country. Semi Jamal, the head of the Qatar party, he led a challenge uh, in the Constitutional Council against Article 49 of the new budget law that they passed. Uh, so this article basically just says if you buy a house that is expensive enough, then you can get an Akama, get a residency permit uh, for as long as you buy the house. And Kataeb, I mean, they've, they've been pretty clear on this. They are concerned that, well, maybe this violates the Constitution because uh, it may allow non-Lebanese to settle in Lebanon, which is expressly against the preamble to the Constitution. Yeah, they're scared that this could lead to the permanent settling of Palestinians and Syrians in Lebanon, you know. Right. Which, I, on, on the other side, you have people like Ibrahim Kanaan, who, oh, guess what? He's running on a rival list against Semi Jamal's list in Metten, who is the head of the, uh, the, the the Budget and Finance Committee in Parliament, who passed this law, who obviously, you know, it, he, he's associated with this law, and he's saying, oh, no, this is not a big deal. This has nothing to actually change the, the immigration law in the country. If you have a problem with it, then, you know, you have a problem with the immigration law itself, uh, not with just the budget. It's uh, very interesting how all the fuss around this law specifically has, beca- has been about Syrian refugees and Palestinian refugees, even though a lot of people are saying, hey, refugees can't buy a house for $500,000 usually. That's not what most refugees do. So it's very interesting how things converge when they don't have a logical basis to do so. So if you're scared of like foreigners coming and buying your property and settling here, you should not be talking about refugees. You should be talking about the rich guys. So yeah. it's very funny what's, yeah. what's, yeah. how this is yeah, good turning point. out. Good point, yeah. Uh, the other big thing that happened, or one of the other big things that happened, was the Brussels II conference uh, for Syrian refugees. That took place. Um, $4.4 billion was pledged for the entire region. We're, we're not sure how much of that was for Lebanon uh, specifically. But the politicians here in Lebanon were actually mad about the closing statement. They thought that the closing statement 
had uh, language in it that suggested that Syrian refugees might stay longer than they should. So th there was a small kerfuffle about that. Uh, and then we also had uh, anti-Syrian posters that appeared in Sassine Square, ostensibly on the anniversary of the, the April 26 uh, pullout of the Syrian army. April 26, 2005, the Syrian army pulled out uh, of Lebanon. So there were these posters that went up, supposedly based on that, with, with, quotes, with a quote from uh, Bashir Jamal. Uh, and it, 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 the one that I saw, or, or, or on the internet I saw, a, a day will come when we will tell the Syrians, gather your things and everything you stole and get out. Something roughly around that. Uh, and so some people on, on social media, they sort of saw through this pretty quickly and said, oh, well, well, that's, uh, th there's more than one message being being put forward here. So, for instance, people like uh, Dima Sadek of LBC, she tweeted, how could you? This is very racist because not only is it talking about the Syrians, there's a subtext of the refugees. Mm -hmm. Refugees it's basically turning a quote about Syrian army, uh, Syrian troops in Lebanon into something about Syrian refugees, using it as a scapegoating tool. Right, right. But like the, the LF doesn't agree, though. Like uh, Jessica Azar, who is not LF, but is a candidate who is LF supported, mm -hmm. uh, she was like, "No, learn your history. Like this is about the 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 Syrian the, the Syrian army leaving and the Syrians leaving, which I mean, obviously not everybody's buying it though. Uh, so all of this prompted a discussion about racism and scapegoating uh, the scapegoating of Syrian refugees in the country, and that's sort of what we want to talk about today: the rhetoric that the the parties use and the way that they're positioning themselves in the campaign. Exactly. I think it's very interesting to analyze the discourse of the different political parties and why they chose this discourse and what it means politically for them. Since we're speaking about the, the Lebanese forces, we can start with them. Their campaign has basically been about red billboards all across the country with the slogan, Sarbadda. You can't miss it. Which you can't all miss over it. the exactly. place. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Especially in places where you don't expect them to be. In, South, Le in South Lebanon. In South Lebanon. Lebanon. Everywhere in the South. Yeah, right, right. And uh, this slogan, Sarbadda, roughly translated as, it's time for... It's basically just about slogans that everyone agrees on. So we need a state. It's time for a state and not a farm, right? This was one of their slogans. It's time for meritocracy, not uh, favoritism, etc. And uh, LF is trying to basically establish itself as a as a political party, as a movement, as an organization uh, that is an agent of change, as opposed to the establishment that is protecting these negative components of, of the discourse so right in, in the current in the current government the fpm their rivals their christian rivals they've got the upper hand they've got the presidency they've got a lot more cabinet posts the lf is saying oh we, we want to come in and change this even though they are a part of the government they only have what like three ministers or something right exactly and i think that's part of why they are focusing very little on individuals. Most of their campaigning is about the party itself, the, the project behind the party and the change aspect. And in comparison to uh, the FPM, the Free Patriotic Movement, we'll see that it's a, it's a very interesting uh, distinction. Uh, so speaking of FPM, FPM is, I think the slogan is very clear. We have been ruling and we will continue ruling. The first uh, series of billboards, if you guys remember a few months back, was we are going on and nothing can stop us. So this was the slogan. And the point is very clear. We have the president. We have the most important cabinet ministers. We are ruling like part of the state. We are the, most, the major Christian force in the, straight, in the state. And we will continue being so 
and we do we on we we're not like a, an idea where people are ruling so right yeah. and they and, and they they highlight the significance of these elections when they say that it's very important for us to have a very big block in parliament mm-hmm. so that this can help us in enacting reforms and mm-hmm. since uh, the president was elected the his party the free patriotic movement has been repeating that you can only judge us judge our performance after the parliamentary elections it is really when the process of change and reform will begin exactly mm-hmm. and i think another thing that's very interesting about fpm's rhetoric is the partnership rhetoric as sharaka they have they are making videos and slogans about the sharaka which basically means power sharing in lebanon and sharing the benefits of the state and they're saying if you have a strong political party that represents christians like fpm in the state this will allow us to cater for our uh, community and if you vote for us and we become stronger we will be able to give you even more this is what partnership means so basically it's a very interesting christian mobilization and it's uh, it's kind of contradicting the the original rhetoric of the fdm that is focused on the unifying state uh, less mm. christian rhetoric of maybe More 10 years ago and i think fdm's overarching rhetoric is basically the new era rhetoric the new era basically means when aoun was elected president and uh, saad hariri became prime minister um through the deal between saad hariri um, aoun birri and uh, hasbullah um so this saad jadid the new era is about achieving things achieving progress uh, stability preventing civil conflict all of these uh, aspects all of these characters and features are in the saad jadid and any vote against fpm is a vote against this smooth uh, happening of things so i think that's the the core of the message of fpm in this elections but they're, they're they they don't have any fpm branding they don't have the same fpm you know slogans or anything like that they are literally running their own campaigns and this even applies to shamil rukos who is aoun's son-in-law uh former brigadier general in the army uh who is sort of like one of the i guess princes of the fpm i guess you could say even though he's not in the fpm technically right but he he's looked to as a potential successor in in leadership and he he doesn't have anything on all his face is all over the place but he doesn't have anything saying that oh i'm i'm fpm or anything like that and, and so this is in stark contrast to the lf which has a very like you mentioned like they've got a very a uh, disciplined campaign they've got a, a one message is sarbidda and they really emphasize the lf really emphasizes this organization over the individual candidates they do have posters for the candidates but they all look the same mm-hmm. the, uh, w- with with very few exceptions fpm focus more on candidates and on, on exactly to, to the point of exclusion of the party yeah exactly i think that's very interesting and, and especially that they're focusing on uh, on individuals like Shamir Rukos or Namat Frem or these people who have their own character they don't require any political credibility from a party to become a phenomenon because they're already famous they already have their own right. kind of uh, legitimacy right which this is this is something that maybe we'll get into a, in a later podcast i really have some things that i want to say about the tight spot i think that Shamil Rukos is in right now yeah. uh but we'll that, that's for another month. time yeah yeah <laughs> and then we have the kataib you know since uh, this compromise this deal was made between hariri and aun and which brought aun to the presidency the kataib have been arguing that it happened on the expense of lebanon's sovereignty independence 
and they they've been accusing the government of uh, corruption and mismanagement and the way they handled the uh, uh, garbage crisis etc so in this um, election campaign they're framing themselves as the only ones who are working or campaigning in favor of a competent government, a really independent and sovereign Lebanon, etc. I think their slogan, the pulse of change, Nabad al-Tagheer, is a representation of that and the fact that they're using terms such as the ruling class, they're using it all the time, Tabaq Sisi, the yes. ruling class, as if Kataib is a, is a newcomer or a, or a real opposition to this ruling class. Which who who really thought like... Kataib would be... <laughs> With like, the anti-ruling class in Lebanon. I mean, I mean, this has been ever since they resigned from the government in what 2015 or something like that. Exactly. They uh, they've been styling themselves as the opposition. So they're reinventing the party in terms of like civil, close to civil society, mostly technocrat, uh, focused on people's issues and not only like big uh, ideological and national matters, but also like services and corruption and things like that. So it's basically reinventing it, but also in terms of being. Uh, like using scapegoating, they didn't really have to get rid of that because it works even if they are close to civil society, even if they have this uh, change rhetoric. I, I think it's really, it's interesting, the, the point that you bring up that, yeah, like even though they're going to the left and all this with the reinvention of the party, sort of the new new guard under Sami Jamal and uh, Patrick Risha, even though they are with the left on a lot of things, uh, it's still like totally okay to within Christian politics. It's totally okay, even on the left, to say, "Oh, we we have real worries about uh, the Syrian refugees staying here," and sort of playing to people's fears. Exactly. Exactly. I think. I think. Yeah. It's also one way of making it very easy for people to make a decision. Like they place all the blame on the foreigners, on the Syrians, or the Palestinians. It is because of them that nothing is working in this country. Once we find a solution for this problem, once they're back in Syria, all our problems will be solved. It's kind of a simplistic uh, approach, I would say. It, it, it's interesting. I was speaking to a, a candidate, I think, in Akkar, and he was like, oh, there's always an excuse. Before 2005, it was the Syrians, and now, you know, you, you, you always have, the, the ruling class always has some excuse as to why there's not development, as to why there's not 24-7 electricity, as to why there's not water, as to why there's not waste collection. You there's know, always the basic a scapegoat. Things. Yeah, exactly. And on the other hand, now we have the future movement with the huge campaign of the Kharzi Zara. Uh, we are the blue amulet. Is that what you call it? We call it the evil eye, I think. E- yeah, the, the, this blue eye-shaped amulet that protects against evil eye yeah right that's a has a cultural symbolism and the campaign is basically we are this thing right so th- and, this thing just to explain like it's it's a like it's a lebanese thing or a syrian thing i guess like it's not a confessional thing it's not christian or muslim or anything it's just something that people do they hang these amulets around like in in our building uh that i live in like one is hung like downstairs in the lobby for instance mm-hmm. uh it, it, it's just something that people believe in. Exactly. And the, the, the rhetoric is basically, we protect Lebanon. We protect stability in Lebanon. We protect prosperity. And uh, we keep things uh, going and stable. And I think this is just building on the recent event with, first of all, with the deal with Michel Aoun that brought Hariri to being prime minister. And then with the big crisis that happened um, with Hariri's uh, kidnapping in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Alleged, uh, alleged, alleged yeah. kidnapping <laughs> in Saudi Arabia, which put him in a situation uh, that was threatening his political existence, and he went out of it 
he had he had a lot of sympathy coming out of that. Like people from across the political spectrum saw how they thought he was treated in Saudi and said, "Oh wow, that that's not right. We may not like this guy. We don't. We may we may not like this guy's politics, but it's over the line. It's crossed the line. What Saudi Arabia has done." He's the prime minister of Lebanon, after all. Yeah, right. But it's very interesting to see that uh, Hariri is positioning himself as the guy who makes deals with Hezbollah to protect Lebanon and the guy who is protected by foreign powers like France if he gets in trouble. So it's basically the person who has all the connections to keep things okay, safe. At the same time, he has a very anti-Hezbollah rhetoric when he goes to the ground and to the villages and talks to people. He's like, we're fighting the... Persian project, the Iranian project in Lebanon. So it's a very interesting uh, combination of... Yeah, so it's like he's going back to 2009, uh, his rhetoric from that, from, from my understanding, right? Yeah, it's, it's the elections rhetoric. Yeah. I understand <laughs> it. Just, not just him, I mean, it applies for all other parties. You need to mobilize your people to make them go and vote. So that's what you say. Yeah, yeah. And on the other hand, you have Hariri, the other Hariri, which is the cool guy, the guy who's taking selfies with everyone. They even launched an app for that. This is amazing. <laughs> they oh, my God. an app for people <laughs> uploading selfies with Hariri. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the cool guy with a smartwatch. He's wearing T-shirts everywhere. He's uh, having this um, pro-youth kind of uh, character so that he breaks the distance that exists between uh, the future movement as an establishment, corrupt pol- political party, in terms of perception, to something that young people can connect to. Right. At, at the same time, though, I, I, I wonder if there are limits to that rhetoric because, I mean, he's been the head of the future movement since 2005. The future movement or its predecessors have been, you know, in, in control for so long. This, this is a, a point that a lot of, a lot of Hariri's uh, opponents use. They're like, well, you, you need to vote for us because this guy hasn't been able to get the job done. So I, I'm not sure... Where, how resonant that rhetoric actually is when it, when it comes down to it. We'll find out. Yeah, and Hezbollah is kind of using this rhetoric when they say, um, we are responsible for protecting people, you are responsible for the economy, and you basically screwed up the economy, right? Is that what Nasrallah implied right, in his latest speech? Right, he basically said, oh, there was this division of labor between uh, future and Hezbollah. We're supposed to protect the country. You're supposed to do the economic development, and you failed. Exactly. Here's our achievement. Show us your achievement. Yeah. And it's the first time that this happens because they have to have a political battle today, an electoral battle. Usually they don't have to talk about the economy because it's everyone knows that Hariri is the economy guy and Hezbollah is the weapons people. And they don't discuss these things uh, as importantly as they do today in these elections. But Hezbollah's main rhetoric, in my opinion, is around the slogan of their slogan. Official slogan is we protect and we build Nahmi wa Nabni which is basically what Hezbollah caters to its communities uh, outside of the realm of the state. And it's a very interesting rhetoric for an electoral campaign to get MPs into the state. So it's basically what we're doing outside the state is what gives us credibility to be in parliament and give you more and more outside the state. It's a very interesting uh, combination. Very straightforward clientelist rhetoric. But on the other hand, the more powerful rhetoric is the one Hezbollah is using in in areas that are majority pro-Hezbollah when they're saying we won't let these people come in and take our uh, representation. Hezbollah's rhetoric is basically you either vote for us or you're voting against the resistance. Uh, Nasrallah's pictures are everywhere in, in Baal Bekirmil, the, the very important district that they're 
there might where the Hezbollah might be losing a couple of seats. Nasrallah's billboards are everywhere, while the candidates have much less focus on by by like the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Because him, Nasrallah himself, like in the in the first election speech he made like two months ago, addressing supporters, he said, "Don't uh, look so much into the names of the candidates we field. These are the candidates of Hezbollah. So everybody from mm. from this party who runs for elections represents the party. So." Don't worry so much about the person as a person. It's really interesting that Hezbollah and the Lebanese forces are really close together on like the way they, they're, they're miles apart on, yep. <laughs> they, they, they do not like each other, but as organizations. In terms they're, of discipline. And, yep, they're, they're, very, very they're both, yeah, they're, they're, they're the two like best, probably best organized parties in the country. I very agree. True. And then I think people that we don't have time to uh, discuss very thoroughly are Jumblat, uh, or, or Birri, or um, Marada, but their, their rhetoric is not as significant because they are running in, apart from Birri, Birri has a very cliche rhetoric in my opinion, it's the same rhetoric he's always had, yeah. protecting the nation, civil coexistence, and all of that. And Jumblad, his spot is guaranteed, pretty exactly. much. He, his he needs no to, campaigning. Right. Jumblat, on the other hand, is, is basically... Uh, hanging up the pic- the photos of Kamal Jumblat with Taimur to basically um, help people. His father get, and his son. Exactly. Right. To help people get used to the idea that Taimur Jumblat, his son, who's very new to politics, is the de facto leader of the Druze community. So what about what about your your side of things? Your you also work with Kolona Watani. What what's there? What what's your guys's? I think the. Main? I think the main focus uh, in the discourse of Kulun Watani is, is on corruption-related issues. The, the main discourse is these people are very corrupt and they haven't been doing well, so we need new people, new faces. and Sarbadda. Sarbadda. Yeah, basically, it's the same rhetoric. <laughs> it's very interesting that LF, Kataib, and the civil society have very, very similar rhetoric. But within, also within uh, Kulun Watan, you have different groups. The group in Shufan Alai, where, I, where I'm active, and the group in Matin, where Sharb al-Nahas is the most prominent figure, have more like um, left-leaning progressive discourse that's most, mostly focused on socioeconomic rights and things like that. So it really varies across the different areas of Lebanon. But the overarching like rhetoric is basically anti-corruption. Um, so I guess, what, what does all of this mean? Does this rhetoric really work? Who's it, it, if we were sort of like placing bets on on who does who has got the best campaign, who's got the best positioning here, uh, who who's actually doing it right and who's maybe not doing it so right? I don't think anyone is really in a comfortable position uh, in terms of parties, political parties, because people from all sects and regions are really tired of of the socioeconomic situation. We've been through a very hard period over the past few years, garbage crisis, pollution, socioeconomic hardship. Plus, you have the uncertainties of the new electoral law. Right. So each party is trying its best to minimize uh, the expected losses or and to fare well in these elections. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all the time we have. Uh, thanks so much to our special guest, Wasim Rue. Uh, Thank really, you Really, really, <laughs> really enjoyed having you. Next week uh, is the election week, the big day. Uh, so we're actually going to come to you a little bit early next week. We're going to have a special that drops on Friday night before the Sunday elections. So please subscribe to us. We are on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We are on your favorite player, I'm sure. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Thanks for listening.
The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar El-Fil. <laughs>